I think James Cameron's dream is to keep making movies until he's about 85 and then to literally explode on set. <laughs> Welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here at Cine Nation, we spend each month discussing film genres and the tropes and stories within them. We're continuing our month-long journey into movie sequels by discussing a filmmaker who has worked extensively within the sequel format. And that director is James Cameron. It's a special episode today, too, because we brought on some guests to talk about James Cameron. Chris Winterbauer and Lizzie Bassett from the What Went Wrong podcast. That's going to be coming about midway through the show. So stay tuned for that. First off, before we just dive into all that, Thomas, what are some things we've covered in the past month in terms of sequels? Yeah, so we talked about um, the idea of, of like having to change the the lessons that your characters learn. Um, you know, if you're a movie that features external conflict, having to usually like up the stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're some, if it's a movie that's about like internal conflict and, and, and character development, then you're going to have to change the development of the character. And if not, that's something we talked about. That's kind of negative is if you come into a sequel and you just have to teach the same lessons over again, kind of, you know, if toy story two had been about Woody learning to be friends with buzz again, it <laughs> probably wouldn't be one of the best sequels. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Cameron is obviously a big external conflicts kind of person so so what we're going to see in a lot of his is kind of changing you you have to come at it and change up what the fight's going to be you know kind of like john mcclane like what's what's the new place we can put him in what's the new situation we can put him in we also talked about the idea of uh the financial success of a sequel and and (laughs) you know whether or not a sequel is is made just for the money which a lot of people think of but also, you know, if it's if it's something that the the creative people behind the movie really wanted to continue the story, and sometimes yeah. it can be something like the the studio wanted to make it for the money, and and because the studio greenlit it, then a story came about that was actually really good, and we've we've seen a few examples of that as well. One thing that Cameron does with a lot of the a lot of the sequels he tackles uh, is that he kind of switches genres. Exactly, where it goes. It goes from uh, uh, with Terminator. It goes from a horror sci-fi movie, Terminator Two, which is an action sci-fi movie. Yeah, and and that's kind of consistent through his career of like, how do I up the ante on this film? And what's also interesting with Cameron, not just the fact that he has done sequels both of his own films and of someone else's films. Uh, some of his films, specifically Terminator, have been given sequels without him being involved. And like seeing how that, like how they follow, how a lot of them with the Terminator movies, they essentially just follow the format he sets up in T2. Yeah, I, I guess the, the next question I have is like, I mean, what is, what do you think his importance is to the sequel genre, I guess you could say, but I mean, also filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's someone who has championed the idea of spectacle films, probably the most successfully since Spielberg. You know, if Spielberg yeah. really, if Spielberg and Lucas really brought that idea about, I think it was Cameron in the '80s who really brought it home—the idea that you can make this huge, successful uh, blockbuster uh, spectacle film, but also get critical success. And and yeah. the, I mean, the person that that probably has tried to continue that mantle in the '90s was Michael Bay, but. As, as we've all seen the critical success part kind of 
fell off in the later part of his career. Is it wrong to say James Cameron's the thinking's man, the thinking man's Michael Bay? Yeah, is that, I mean, that I, I think there's some obvious parallels to be drawn, especially in, in Bay's early stuff. Like you, you look at The Rock, and you're, I mean, you could James Cameron yeah. could have made The Rock. Um, James Cameron could have made Armageddon, but uh, it's I think it's because James James Cameron, and we'll see this when we look at the way he approaches sequels. He's someone who wants to continue to challenge himself. Um, and, you know, like, especially when approaching Terminator 2, which I think is a great example of uh, a sequel to his own movie. Um, he just went, all right, I got to do co- something completely different with this. And as we can see, I think Bay's kind of gotten to a point where he's not, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Don't fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of mindset where Cameron is constantly building. I mean, I... I and and we to saw a fault I, sometimes yeah yeah and and we've seen Bay, like base several times has tried to kind of copy cameron's career i, th- I think pearl harbor is the best example of bay going all right here's my titanic here we go and uh, we all saw how that turned out but um yeah. but yeah i think i think cameron's legacy is that big spectacle but also within the sequel films i think his especially Aliens and Terminator 2 are, are two great examples within the world of sequel films of making something that completely changes the formula, but still keeps the spirit alive, especially Aliens. I mean, that's a it, it's an incredible feat to pull off a sequel to a, a horror movie that you didn't make, completely change the genre and make it you know as beloved as the original with within the fandom. And, and really, I mean, specifically with with Ellen Ripley's character. I mean, giving her a character, if that yeah. makes sense, yeah. like to a point where like I, I it's it's funny how like this happened a little bit, too, with like, say, Halloween, too, as we talked about how like sometimes your uh, perception of these characters is formed by a sequel mm-hmm. or what you hear. So it's like Laurie Strode is Michael Myers uh, sister in Halloween, too. And but so you watch Halloween one thinking that. And like with Ripley, it's like they don't give her her name Ellen Ripley until like the end of Aliens. Mm-hmm. But everyone knows her as like Ellen Ripley, and you forget that like, oh yeah, she doesn't really have much of a backstory in Alien, and she's really like Ripley's not really the big uh, leading person in Alien. Like no, she's like yeah, the, she's think, the unlikely hero in that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's that's the influence. You know, we talked yeah, like we talked about Halloween too. I think Halloween had such a huge influence. You know, because Terminator is a slasher movie. Aliens is, a, I mean, Alien is a slasher movie. Um, and and the blueprint that Halloween laid out as it kind of created that genre was, you know, your protagonist can kind of be a blank slate. Like there's not much going yeah. on with Laurie in that first one. And, and as we continue to explore that genre, it became more and more apparent that like, hey, we want compelling protagonists. And so that's what Aliens and Terminator 2 were both able to deliver to us. Yeah. We'll we'll jump into that in a little bit. Let me let me give you a rundown of Mr. James Cameron's early beginnings as a young man growing up in Canada and then afterwards. James Cameron was born on August 16th, 1954 in Kapus Kapuskasing, Ontario, Canada. I had no idea James Cameron was Canadian until just now. <laughs> I know, right? So I'll get that. But he moved. He moved to California when he was seventeen. Um, born to Philip and Shirley Cameron. Philip was an electrical engineer, and Shirley was a nurse and an artist. Cameron is the oldest of five children. The Camerons would later live in 
Chippewa, Ontario, which is located right in like Niagara Falls area. Um, surely his mother would later serve as inspiration for several of Cameron's female heroines is what it was. Cameron was an avid reader as a child and incredibly intelligent. Sometimes he was too smart for his own good, apparently. One time his mother was called into a parent-teacher conference and the teacher told, told her that James couldn't read. And his mother told him to pick up any book from the teacher's desk and he grabbed this advanced science book and he began to read it aloud with ease. And the teacher's like, why didn't, tell, why didn't you tell me you could read? And Cameron responds, if you think I'm going to sit there and read C-Spot Run all day, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, he started early. Uh, the information I'm, I'm kind of reading you comes a little bit from uh, The Futurist, a book by Rebecca Keegan. So a lot of information comes from that. But so Cameron growing up loved science and art. As a kid, his dream was to write science fiction novels. And that was kind of, I guess, the career goal until he saw Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. And that's when he realized, oh, I could be doing this as a filmmaker and like making these models and doing these special effects. At the age of 17, Cameron and his family moved to Brea, California, a town in Orange County. Once he graduated high school, he began attending Fullerton College. He began dating a young woman named Sharon Williams, who was a waitress at Bob's Big Boy. And Williams and Cameron would later marry, and she would serve as some inspiration to Sarah Connor because Sarah Connor and Terminator works at a diner. Mm -hmm. uh, Cameron would, would drop out of college after only a year or so, and he began to hold several odd jobs. It's been kind of famous that he was a truck driver was one thing. His motivation to be a filmmaker intensified when Star Wars was released in 1977. So Cameron and his friends in Orange County made a short film called Xenogenesis, a story about people who search for a planet, a search for a planet for humanity to start its next life cycle on. The film was funded by a bunch of dentists in Orange County hmm. uh, because they were looking for a way to invest some money. Uh, they didn't realize that investing money into a short might be the worst business decision <laughs> ever made. But that film landed him a job working for Roger Corman as a model builder. And then within a year, gets bumped up to production designer. And so Cameron became so involved in his work that he would most most of the time sleep at the model shop so he could continue to work late into the night and early in the morning. Yeah, something uh, something we're going to see as we continue through his career is he's not really a, a work-life balance kind of guy. That's no, not, he's a, he, he, yeah. not really of concern to him. Work is like always the forefront, it seems like, at least I think until much later in his life. So Cameron would later say that when you worked for Corman and a directing job came up, you took it no questions asked. Didn't matter what it was. If you hated it, you still made it. And the job that came up was Piranha 2 The Spawning, a sequel to Joe Dante's Piranha. Cameron's hired as a special effects director, but uh, the producer, who was this Italian producer, fired the film's director because over creative differences. And this Italian producer... He really wanted to be a director, but kind of what his, his his deal was is that he would make these cheap movies, hire some like young American filmmaker who he could push around and still take control of the movie because the people he sold it to wanted to have an American in the director role. But this guy really wanted to direct it. So he hires Cameron. Uh, Cameron is on the film for five days before the producer fires him as well. After the film was finished, Cameron returned to Rome, which is where the guy was based out of, to see a cut of the film. He watches the cut. He's like, yeah, all my stuff cuts together. It's that the producer wanted to have like 
naked women and all this type stuff to like make it more of like his like movie and he's like oh but this movie sucks i don't want my name on this uh let me at least recut it and they go no you can't recut it so while he's in rome he would break into the editing room at night and recut the film without them knowing they would later like see it and recut the film but he just wanted to make sure like he tried it and did it himself to where he knew he could like make a film out of it Mm -hmm. uh at this time he was 27 broke and depressed and because of kind of this like unhealthy style of living of staying up late to go edit and eating only bread because you have no money he became incredibly sick uh and he was thought he was dying and he has this fever one night and he goes to bed and he has this terrible nightmare about a robotic skeleton coming out of an explosion and cameron woke up and sketched out the image he saw from his dream and that would be the terminator And that was kind of the beginnings of the idea of the Terminator. And he began to do prep for it. Uh, He brought on Gail Ann Hurd, who was a a prominent producer in Hollywood, was also from the Corman School. And she would produce a lot of Cameron's earlier movies. And they made a deal to where if she, he optioned the rights to her for Terminator after he wrote it. If she would produce it, she had to guarantee that he would direct the movie. And that's kind of how he got his first like real gig at directing a movie because he doesn't really count Piranha 2. They originally wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger for Kyle Reese's character, Hmm. not the Terminator. You know who they wanted for Terminator? Uh, O.J. Simpson. I did know that. I had heard that before. Yes. I mean, you know, if they were worried whether or not he could pull it off, I I think I think we know now that. Yeah. Cameron was worried that no one would believe he could be a killer. That's what it was. (laughs) Take what you will from that. And so he's in the meeting with uh, with Schwarzenegger, and Schwarzenegger is mainly talking about the Terminator. He's not really talking about Kyle Reese. Mm. And Cameron's like, "I think you should pr- like play the Terminator instead of this Kyle Reese character. I think like I could make you a gr- like a, a memorable role with the limited dialogue because of his accent. Like this is going to make you." And so Schwarzenegger agrees. Uh, but stuff gets in the way when he an option is made to do a sequel to Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer. So he has like nine months to go make that movie. So Cameron's now stuck, doesn't know what to do. So he starts taking some writing jobs. And I just want to bring this up real quick before we dive into movie by movie. But before he made Terminator in 1983, he did a rewrite of Terminator. He wrote multiple drafts of Rambo uh, Part Two. And he wrote the first draft of Aliens in that amount of time. He mathematically decided, okay, I'm going to have to write this many pages a day per hour per movie. And just, like, create a whole schedule of, like, how to do all these different movies. Oh, man. Uh, So, yeah. So, that's how kind of – and then Terminator gets made. And so, let's talk about Terminator real quick. It's his first movie. It's a horror sci-fi film. Can you give us a rundown of what it's about, the plot of it? Yeah, so you got Sarah Connor, who's just kind of a, an everyman diner waitress, as, as you said. And uh, the, the Terminator is a robot assassin sent back from the future when uh, this uh, uh, corporation called Skynet has an AI um, and robots have taken over the world. And they've pinpointed Sarah's future son is the leader of the, the human rebellion and so he's the kind of the only person standing between them and complete world domination so they've decided instead of like fighting him they're gonna send a robot assassin back 
to the past to kill Sarah before she can even have her son. Pretty basic slasher plot with, you know, some sci-fi time travel mixed in. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big, big, scary guy. We're not super sure. Like, he's kind of a blank slate. And he's coming to kill this this girl, and she's in trouble, and she better run. Yeah, and, and John Connor, her future son, sends back a one of his soldiers to protect mm-hmm. her. Is what yeah. it is, and it, it's a very like it's it's a gritty like. I mean, it feels like made. It's a, it's a scrappy movie. Yeah, in terms yeah it of how feels it's made. it feels very Corman esque. Like you you yeah. can see that of, of any of his movies other than Piranha Two, I think it's the one that that yeah bears the 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 corman uh yeah, flavor cut, to yeah. it yeah the studio did not think it was going to be a hit so they only spent a million dollars on marketing and they only spent or i think they only spent that in the the first week like the week leading up to the release so they didn't pr- promote it at all and what happened was that it got good critical response and that's kind of how it became a sleeper hit mm-hmm. around the country and ended up making about 80 million dollars uh total so I've heard you talk about Terminator before. Uh, what are your thoughts on Terminator, Thomas? I think it's great. I, I love I love slasher movies. Um, I think it's a fun little slasher movie. It's not not my favorite. I, I think that's probably Halloween. But uh, but yeah, what I think is really interesting, and and we'll we'll get into this as as we get to Terminator Two. But more than I think any other like successful movie sequel pairing. It's kind of wild how much of an imprint term the first Terminator movie has left on pop culture, but also has been completely overshadowed by the second movie. Yeah. You know, like very much so much of like the I'll be back and like him, you know, showing up naked after time traveling. Like there's there's so much of that that's ingrained in pop culture. But I think a lot of people like don't even remember that that Schwarzenegger was the bad guy in the first one because yeah because the second movie left such an even bigger mark on pop culture so it's 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 a really interesting phenomenon that this movie was hugely successful crazy influential but also has been like almost completely rewritten by the movie that came directly after it yeah i'll ask this question which one did you see first terminator one two, or terminator, terminator two? two yeah it was showing it showed on television all the time i don't yeah I, I i remember a couple of times catching the first one on tv but like terminator 2 was on tbs like every weekend i had bought terminator 2 on dvd like in middle school because of the my family would go to universal studios in orlando and they had the t2 battle across mm-hmm. time like show so in terms oh, i gotta watch this movie so i bought t2 and so the big twist for me is like when i go back to terminator was like oh he's the bad guy now (laughs) like it was like it was a weird it was the opposite of the oh he's a good guy in terminator 2 Mm -hmm. but like it was fun to say oh he's the bad guy all of a sudden yeah well and and it's kind of wild to watch t2 and be introduced to that version of sarah connor and then go back and (laughs) yeah and see the first sarah connor yeah it's hard not to discuss like both of them the same like same time but yeah it's like it she is such a the idea around sarah connor with one is like it's the person where like it's the unlikely hero as we said but like in the you have to believe the transformation at the end that like she's the one that kills the terminator Mm -hmm. like that's the big key to everyone forgets this is what i i this happened with the newest one and it made me furious (laughs) 
Well, uh, that's something else to address entirely. Well, no, no, no. I haven't seen. No, I'm not talking about the movie. What I didn't get with the movie is go. Oh, why is this movie become this female-driven film all of a sudden? I was like, did you guys not pay attention yeah. not watch to any all of, of these yeah. movies? Like, what do you mean? Or the television show? <laughs> yeah, like, what do you mean? You're pissed as a female-driven sh- like movie all of a sudden? It was always that. Like, it's just it had Arnold in it, and that's what like made you think like, oh, like it's a man's movie. But like, it's the co- the the person who has the arc in one and in two. It's it's Sarah Connor. Yeah. But speaking speaking of the sequels as well, it, I can't think of another franchise that is as like beloved for having a majority bad movies like if you look at the franchise as a whole now i mean yeah going back on like the the three that have been made in in present day that makes the majority of these movies are bad like not good but but we just the the first two were so huge that they just continue to be made like you would never get a fifth term with the especially the way that the fourth one performed to be able to yeah. just for a studio to go like, yeah, we should make a fifth one of those. <laughs> well, it's again, it's this whole IP driven society now with film. It's like it's, oh, let's take that, let's dust off that IP and see what we can do. And also, I would argue too that Terminators. I mean, this happens with horror franchises all the time, but like in terms of like in my world, like in my time growing up, the first big mainstream franchise, like, hey, let's forget that last one happened, mm-hmm. like. Four is a little bit of a continuation of three, but then five is like, let's forget three and four happen. And then uh, six, six is, is like, like, let's forget, forget five. Yeah. Let's forget three. Let's let's forget three, four and five happens. Because now on well, this going back to the power of Cameron. I mean, that was the selling point of six was like, guys, yeah. Cameron signed off on this one. So, yeah, you he's know, producing it's it be good. And then it was like, eh, no, it's still not. <laughs> I have some people who who defend it, though. I will say I've, I've had people defend Dark Fate. And I'm, I still haven't seen it, and I want to see it. The 600 series had rubber skin. We spotted them easy. But these are new. They look human. Sweat, bad breath, everything. Very hard to spot. I had to wait till he moved on you before I could zero him. Look, I am not stupid, you know. They cannot make things like that yet. Not yet. Not for about 40 years. Are you saying it's from the future? One possible future. From your point of view, I don't know tech stuff. Then you're from the future too, is that right? Right. Right. (laughs) Cyborgs don't feel pain. I do. Don't do that again. Just let me go. Listen! And understand that Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. Yeah, Terminator is just like, I, it, it, estab- it helps kind of also establish, it didn't establish, but it solidifies the idea of uh the subgenre tech noir which is the name of the club in the movie um so it's influential in that way of these noir stories that are like a subgenre of film noir but that focus on not the downfalls of humanity but the downfalls of technology 
So movies like Blade Runner, movies like uh, Minority Report later on would be kind of influenced with the genre. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Terminator, I think T2 is the better film, but Terminator 1, when you look at the budget and look at what they did on such a large scale, that's the thing about Cameron. From Terminator onward, when you watch it, you're just like, no one really makes movies like this guy. Mm-hmm. Like everything feels big, even when the like production budget could be small. And we'll, I'll, I'll continue to harp on that as we go through each film, but it's it starts off in Terminator, continues into Aliens, where Aliens is this huge, like almost a war film, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, when the first one again is it's this horror film, the sci-fi horror film, and Cameron says, "Hey," which originally it was pro- uh, with Aliens, it was two producers who came up with the idea of like making Alien Two a war film. But it didn't have Ripley involved in it, apparently. Hmm. And then that's when Cameron came in and like rewrote it as like, okay, Ripley's the main character. I think he initially wrote it with a male character in mind. And then the last minute just switched it to Ripley and gave her the backstory, which is not really in the theatrical cut, but it's in the director's cut of like her being a mother and her, her daughter died after she awakes from her 57 year uh kind of like uh sleep in her in the space in, in, in her space station she's in um but yeah real quick so aliens is about ellen ripley has been found and floating in space on a, on a on a spaceship in a sleep after 57 years she they awake they, they wake her up and she has to tell them what all happened in the previous film and no one believes her everyone's like no you're you're like a you're a woman i think you're lying about this you think i think every like you did some of these people there's no such thing as these aliens you're talking about like we know that because we have people on the planet you said you went to and they've been there for 10 years and they've never there's been never findings of an alien and so they write her off they like suspend her from her like service with like i guess uh, what the job she was doing beforehand and now she's just like leading a, a regular life in space when they come to her being like, hey, the colony we told you that didn't have aliens, well, we've now lost contact with them and we think you might be right. And we need you to go with these military guys we're sending, these Marines, to see in case there are people there uh, or there are aliens there, you can be a consultant to them. And the team is supposed to go in and exterminate any aliens or life forms that are not humans that are found on the planet. And they get there, and of course, shit gets crazy. Basically what it is. Great cast. Bill Paxton's in it. Mm-hmm. Michael Bean, Lance Hendrickson, uh, Sigourney Weaver, Jeanette Goldstein. It, it, what's interesting about Cameron movies, and it, it, it's, it's very prominent in Aliens and then for the rest of his, for a lot of his movies. He has the theme of family in his films a lot, or there's a very like makeshift, like family dynamic in his films. And Aliens feels like the first one that really does that with the, with essentially by the end of the movie or by the, like the last hour or whatever the film, 
it's kind of Cameron's like acting troupe. Mm-hmm. It's it's Lance Henriksen, it's Jeanette Goldstein, it's uh, Bill Paxton, <laughs> it's Sigourney. I love the idea of a James Cameron acting troupe just because I'm picturing them in like a like a Anchorman style battle with Orson Welles's <laughs> acting troupe, and I think we all know who could win out of out of those two. Who are we t- who are you taking? Who are you I'm t- taking you Cameron. T- man. <laughs> I'm taking Cameron too. At the end of the day, like I mean, I- I'm taking Cameron just because like I mean he's like. He's going to outthink Orson Welles, which I know it's, it's maybe a sin to well, say. He's also going to make everyone on his troop do, uh, you know, pull-ups. <laughs> We're going to work uh, out. We're going to prep for this battle. How many pull Joseph Cotton could do? Just just out of curiosity. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like it's it's like this very like tight-knit group. Even So even like the soldiers have this family vibe and then they, they kind of accept Ellen Ripley into that family. Yeah, again, that's it was $16 million, which for that movie is very cheap. It feels like for that time, because mm-hmm. the, the sets are the production design, the models are, are amazing, but yeah, it sets up this, the idea of the family dynamic also to another theme in Cameron's films, which is very prominent. I think through all of them is this idea of the bad guy being corporations. Yeah. All of his films are very like anti corporations where usually it's, and also it's the idea that, our downfall is not uh, caused by an outside source. It's caused by humans. When you look at all of his films and there's some sort of like end of the world type story, you can always bring it back to a human doing something stupid or selfish. If it's the Terminator 2 where it's there and they're studying the, the, the technology they have found and they're trying to make stuff out of it and they decide to launch Skynet and that it's, they are the ones that could have prevented this from happening. Or if it's Titanic with the guy saying, Hey, keep going in the night and uh, get there a day early and like make everyone think we're great. And like, it's this like selfish thing. And in, in aliens, it's this idea as it kind of comes in later is that you find out the corporation doesn't want to kill these aliens. They want to take them and study them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so it's like corporations are always distrustful in Cameron films. How would you rank this in, in Cameron's filmography with Aliens? Uh, I think it's probably top like two for me. I think it's probably Terminator Two and, and Aliens. But I, I think, but what he does here is if we're talking about reinventing a sequel. Is that like we said we it makes it into a war film. He gives way more development to Ellen Ripley, and it ends up being a huge success. Yeah, like it's the scale, the the difference in scale between Alien and Aliens is insane. Like. And it, and it's not. I mean, it, it's the equivalent of somebody taking. I mean, and and you know, the Friday the Thirteenth movies got huge, but if somebody came in and said, "All right, the second Friday the Thirteenth movie is going to be like an army of of Jasons, and we're gonna send, <laughs> and we're gonna send an army in to fight them," like it was such like nobody had done that, and then it obviously informed you know what he wanted to do with Terminator Two as well, and yeah. and he pulled both off very very well. How many Oscars do you think Aliens got nominated for? Uh, six. You're close. Seven. Oh, I was gonna say seven. <laughs> Man, I thought. I thought. You know, that's a little too high. And Sigourney Weaver. And Sigourney Weaver was nominated for Best Actress. Yeah, she's for... she's fantastic. Yeah, like you like you said, and and kind of like we were talking about with Terminator Two. Like that is Aliens is where our pop culture understanding of Ripley really comes from aliens yeah. more than, than alien. Like Cameron was tasked with a hard job. Like, Hey, how do I add to the, to the, what Ridley Scott did in alien? Mm-hmm. 
and Cameron's like, you know what? I'm just not going to, fo- I feel like I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to make my own thing. Yep. But, but like figure out like, okay, we're going to have a face hugger. We're going to have the exploding, like, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the name, but the exploding alien out of the chest or, uh, the chase buster or whatever it is like you're, that's going to happen, but then I'm going to make everything else different. Mm-hmm. And that's the key with the sequels that you got to have some connections to your pre like you got, you, you know what the fans want to see. So you got to make sure you kind of include that thing in there, but you also want to make sure it's new and fresh. So you're not like hard, you're not, you're not like com- completely staying on that idea. Like the, the, the chest bursting doesn't happen the same way that does in alien. It's probably more famous in alien because in, in aliens, it's just a kind of a, a moment where they find a bunch of people and then mm-hmm. one of them, their chest burst. Um, but yeah, it, it, so what he sets up here and how to tackle the sequel in Aliens, he continues to do later on in his career. Are there any species like this hostile organism on LV-426? No, it's a rock. No indigenous life. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? Ma'am, I already said that it was not indigenous. It was a derelict spacecraft. It was an alien ship. It was not from there. Do you get it? We homed in on its beacon. And found something never recorded once in over 300 surveyed worlds. A creature that gestates inside a living human host. These are your words. And has concentrated acid for blood. That's right. Look, I can see where this is going. But I'm telling you that those things exist. Thank you, Officer Ripley. That will be all. Please, you're not listening to me. Kane, the crew member. Kane, who went into that ship, said he saw thousands of eggs there. Thousands. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it! That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. So moving on to the abyss, the abyss I had never seen before we did this episode and the abyss, again, this makeshift family of these oil riggers who, who, who work underwater, get tasked with the, the job to nuclear warheads have been uh, dropped at sea and these oil riggers are closer. So they are tasked with the job to go and retrieve these, nuclear warheads with a couple of these like marines Mm. and these oil rig these oil riggers these scuba divers who are in this they're they are this like makeshift family it takes the idea of what was happening in aliens and it puts these uh, uh, ensemble cast a lot of times in a confined space with aliens with the abyss even with titanic it's this idea of like putting them all in one space and seeing how they interact and with the abyss again he pushes forward on special effects i think it's an underrated cameron film i think the visual effects are stunning i watched the director's cut i would be interested to see like what is in the original cut and what's kind of changed um but again it keeps that idea and this time it's not corporations but mostly government but the idea is that with the nuclear warheads and there's also kind of some alien stuff in there where it's like humans are the cause for like their own self-destruction is what it is, their own destruction. Hmm. And that's just prominent in a lot of his movies. But the abyss for for it won best visual effects in the Oscars. It's a great it's I think it's a really good film. It's one of his more underseen ones, but it wasn't a big box office like sensation. So I do wonder if that kind of failure led into Terminator 2. 
Hmm. Yeah. And like, what was like, why that was made? Yeah, I think. Well, and I, I do think it's, it's tough to market. It doesn't have, like, the, the brand status as. Yeah. You know, especially if you're someone coming out of you've at this point you've only done, like these huge sci-fi movies, and you do something that's a little bit more low concept. It's not quite as like there's a giant robot and he's evil. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's harder to market it. You can't really sell merchandise from it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's not as someone who will come to work in franchises a lot. I think this definitely shaped him to be like, Oh, I don't really like it when I make this like one movie and, and it's not a, a cultural smash. All of his films weirdly after Terminator feel like a blank check movie. Mm-hmm. Hey, you made that movie. It went great. Here's this movie. Yeah, you and, you generate and, money. Go make us some money. I'm just gonna keep like like upping the ante and what I'm gonna do. Yeah, cool. With the abyss, I'm gonna go to South Carolina and build a whole oil rig in a in a tank. Yep. Like at a former nuclear like weapon site. You want us to search for the sub? No, we know where it is, but she's in two thousand feet of water and we can't reach her. We need divers to enter the sub and search for survivors, if any. Don't you guys have your own stuff for this kind of thing? By the time we get our rescue submersibles here, the storm front will be right on us. Now you can get your rig in under the storm beyond sight in 15 hours, and that makes you our best option right now. Why should we risk our butts for something like this? I have been authorized to offer you all special bonuses equivalent to three times normal dive pay. Yes, sir, Ooh. buddy. Yeah. 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 I'd eat beanie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it set me on fire and took me out with horse. Hey, hey, Look, I don't know what kind of deal you guys made with the company, but my people are not qualified for this. We're oil workers. This is a paycheck. Hold it down. This is Lieutenant Coffee. He will transfer it down to you with a SEAL team and supervise the operation. You can send down whoever you like, Commodore, but I'm the tool pusher on this rig, and when it comes to the safety of these people, there's me and then there's God, understand? If things get dicey, I'm pulling the plug. So the abyss happens again. It's not a huge success, but it is. It does like may make some money back with home video and everything. And then T2 happens. Thomas, what is Terminator 2 Judgment Day about? <laughs> I feel like we've covered it so much already. Um, I know. Uh, yeah, so, you know, plot's not that different. But um, but it is, which is the amazing thing. So so John Connor has has reprogrammed a terminator so it's not you know it's a different robot obviously sarah killed the last one but but in the future john connor's has reprogrammed a terminator to be good and to fight for humans and yeah. uh sends it back to protect himself as a yeah. i don't know how old is he supposed to be in that like 14 like like, thir- like 13 yeah. or so i think yeah. yeah and and when he gets back we realize that that sarah has been changed by the experience of the first one and she's now a complete badass and yeah. is like a, a robot killing machine and so sarah and young john and this new terminator team up against an even better model than than schwarzenegger who has who has been sent back to to do the job that schwarzenegger's model couldn't in the last one so i guess so we talked a lot about it, so i don't want to spend too much time on it but i want to bring up how cameron reintroduces characters in this movie because I think it's done incredibly well. With Schwarzenegger, for example, we've seen him before, but we got to bring him back in like a new light. So that's when you have the whole like the whole barroom scene mm-hmm. where he goes in naked and just beats up everyone, then takes this dude's clothes. But there's like a there's a there's a comedic aspect to this scene in a way. Yeah, which to this, I think to this is, whole movie. 
Yeah. Um, it's 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 like a like a buddy cop movie almost. It's set with a kid. <laughs> I, I thought that I was like, this feels like a buddy movie with a kid and a, and a machine is what it is. Yeah. But like the beginning, it had so so that you know like from the beginning, oh, something's a little different with this character. And then the may underrated because no one talks about is how he reintroduces Sarah Connor is done phenomenally. Where like she's now in a a mental institution. And like you're seeing glimpses of her like working out, but you're not seeing her face. And then the doctor who was in the previous one comes up and is showing people, oh, like this is our patient Sarah. And she just turns around and just like is like chiseled, long hair. Like it's just like a completely different person than what we last saw her in Terminator. Mm-hmm. So like, it's just a perfect introduction, reintroduction to that character. And I think that's a key with the sequel that some people kind of miss is how can I reintroduce this character in a, in a fresh way that you wouldn't expect? And he does that in Terminator 2. The delusional architecture is fairly unique. She believes that a machine called a Terminator, which looks human, of course, was sent back through time to kill her. That's original. And also that the father of her child was a soldier sent back to protect her. No. He was from the future, too. The year uh, 2029, if I remember correctly. And here we are. Morning, Sarah. Good morning, Dr. Silverman. How's the knee? Fine, Sarah. She, uh... Stabbed me in the kneecap with my pen a few weeks ago. Terminator 2, again, visual effects are great. It's a huge action film. I feel like in terms of like inspirational stuff, I will I I, I missed this earlier, but with some of those films, you can tell like other filmmakers would later copy certain ideas that he does in his films. Like when watching Aliens, I was like, I wonder if Spielberg watched this for Jurassic Park. Because hmm. there's certain sequences that feel like they're a little similar. Like the moment in a when when Sigourney Weaver and Newt are trapped in like a a, a room with facehuggers, it feels like a little bit like the raptor scene when Sam Neill and Laura Dern the kids are trapped in the like the computer room and trying not to let the raptors in. It was like it just it had similar vibes to it. And without T two, I think that really makes the '90s this huge like blockbuster decade. Yeah. It continues after T2 with True Lies. Uh, I'm going to let you... Like, what's True Lies about, Thomas? I love True Lies. One. True Lies is a spy comedy. Um, really kind of yeah. out of left. A, par- I mean, a, a, a parody of Bond is yeah, what, what yeah. I think he was trying for. Um, so, I mean, I guess if you take in the comedic aspects he was starting to play with in Terminator 2, it kind of makes sense that he had a good time and was like, I want to do yeah. a comedy now. But... Um, but yeah, so Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a spy who has like a double life. He's married with kids in the suburbs and has like a very quiet married life. And yep. he finds out that his wife is like potentially thinking of having an affair with this man who mm-hmm. she thinks is a spy. And so she <laughs> thinks she's been wrapped up in this big spy plot when she's actually not. It's Bill Paxton lying to her about being a spy. <laughs> he's a used uh, car salesman yeah but then in like getting involved with his wife's life and trying to like stop her from having an affair Schwarzenegger ends up getting her involved in an actual spy plot and then they kind of rekindle their uh romance while 
saving their daughter from being kidnapped by a terrorist. That's the whole movie. Okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got one of Bill Paxton's best performances. Just, I, just I mean, let's throughout. be real. It's 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 one of Bill Paxton's best performances. I mean, it's the best Tom Arnold performance ever. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Hands down. Put period. on put on screen. <laughs> it's probably Cameron's most fun movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's not. It is. He's bringing his action sensibilities for sure, but it's yeah. not. It doesn't try and hide the fact, and I think it's we we kind of have a different feel for it now in the like Marvel era of like, oh yeah, it's an action movie and it's a comedy, it's both. But like at, at, at that period when that wasn't as well known, like that wasn't really yeah. as much of a thing. It was a comedy first, and yeah. it just had really great Cameron action set pieces in it. But it doesn't. Fl- it flows like a comedy more than it does an action movie. Yeah, and it's just again when watching True Lies, I was just like. Who makes films like this? <laughs> like, who does this? Like, who does a a a, a limo f- like exploding off a off a bridge and Jamie Lee Curtis being picked up by a helicopter by Arnold? Like, who does just a like a huge uh like jet fighter scene on like on top of a building? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like when you watch it, I was like, who has the balls to do this? Like, and also. Who would give him money for this? Is the <laughs> other question I have. Like, not just who has the balls. Like, I, I mean, it's. I think a lot of people would have the balls to do it. But who would like say, you know what? You're right, James. Let's just uh, let's have this this uh, jet fighter plane up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like all of his films just seem big, and I I wouldn't say they get bigger each time, but there's like maybe like. Do you think Do you think True Lies is a bigger film than T two? Um. I don't know. I don't. I never really. Th- I, I think of it in my head probably is smaller because I think of the comedic points. But yeah, I mean the the action pieces are gigantic. Uh, I don't. I I still think I I think of T two just because it's like sci fi and all that. I I still think of it as bigger. But I I love True Lies. Man, it's so much fun. My only issue is I think it has two endings, but that's kind of yeah, multiple endings. Yeah, is the we, issue we've, we've yet to bring this up, but we've we talked about it um, in in prep. Was, uh, the length the length talking, of James Cameron yeah, films. The, the downside of James Cameron is he could use, and and you know from what we understand about his career, he's a very commanding person, and it feels like he gets his way a lot. And it might yeah. seem it seems like he might need an editor who can stand up to him a little bit more because he hasn't. Only made one movie under two hours. I'm not including Piranha, but in terms of like narrative films and not as documentaries, Terminators is the only one under two hours. Yeah, True Lies. I'm sorry, True Lies does not need to be two hour, two and a half hours. Yeah, I mean, well, by by Titanic, he's editing his own films. Yeah, that's the other thing. And I'm not saying it's I don't know how you do it, but the issue with True Lies, and this is a little bit of spoilers for that, but I'm saying True Lies is I feel like the main plot of that movie is their marriage. Yeah, like fixing their marriage. Mm-hmm. And then once they do that, I'm like, cool, we've solved the problem. This movie's over. Like, no, 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 no. But the daughter, yeah. she's been kidnapped. And well, you're that's, like, that's, Wait. that's when it's like, okay, the comedy stuff's over. Let's give you let's give you the action. Like, the true action. Yeah. Suppose you have an angle. <laughs> it's killer. I mean, look at me. I'm not that much to look at. No, no, no. I can be honest. But I got them lining up. And not just the skanks either. Well, some are. So what's the angle? Oh, no. Sorry. Trade secret. Okay. Just ask yourself, what do women really want? You take these bored housewives married to the same guy for years, they're stuck in a rut. They need some release. Promise of adventure, a hint of danger. I create that for them. So basically, you're lying your ass off the whole time. 
You see, I couldn't do that. <laughs> what are you, a Boy Scout? No, no, no. Think of it as playing a role. It's fantasy. I mean, you got to work on their dreams. Get them out of their daily suburban grind for a few hours. And what about their husbands? Dickless. I mean, let's face it. If they took care of business, I'd be out of business. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those idiots. <laughs> And now we move on to Titanic. As I said earlier in the show, we have some special guests for the latter half of this show, and they are Chris Winterbauer and Lizzie Bassett from the film podcast, What Went Wrong, a podcast about troubled film productions of both the films you love and the most infamous failures of all time. They recently covered Titanic and the Abyss in their show, so it's a pleasure to have them on and discuss James Cameron. Chris and Lizzie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. We're so happy to have you both here. Uh, as you know, Thomas and I are big fans of the show, and when we were planning our sequel month, we always had James Cameron in mind for our ending episode of the month with uh, uh, when we talking about a director. And honestly, you two were the ones we wanted to bring on because we think you guys are the biggest Cameron experts we know <laughs> because, because you guys have covered... Uh, two of his movies on your podcast with Titanic and The Abyss. Because we are losers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we understand. We know why you really brought us here. Like, who's got a it. lot of free time? <laughs> <laughs> and who's watched The Abyss more than once? Who's Only watched The exactly. Abyss more than once? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I guess my first question for you guys is before covering uh, Cameron on your show and in terms of like Trail Productions, uh, did you have any preconceived notions like before diving into his career? Yes, I did. And I, I will say this happens often when I enter into the research on something like, I, you know, sort of the preconceived notion for me of James Cameron, I think all ties back to was it Tina Fey or Amy Poehler's joke at the Golden Globes where they introduced Catherine Bigelow and. Uh, for her award and said that something like no woman knows more about torture given she was married to James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> James Cameron. Yeah, that was it. That was it. Which is so for me, it was always like, oh, you know, he's had so many wives. He's like an a, aggressive, you know, overpowering director. I will say I left both episodes uh, with a, a much deeper appreciation for James Cameron than I was expecting. Um, I do think he's probably a hell of a person to work with but I think he's amazing and I certainly do not think that he is the most difficult director we've covered on the show at all yeah I think I went into it having my last James Cameron movie I'd watched was Avatar and then mm -hmm. I went to film school and <laughs> you get kind of programmed against James Cameron yep. and I, I and also Avatar even though when I saw it in theaters it was it blew me away from a technological perspective. When I rewatched Avatar later on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, I was There's far no less. Plot. Yeah, I was far <laughs> less taken by the weird tentacle uh, sex. Uh, <laughs> but then, so I went back and we watched obviously uh, the Abyss, and I'd never seen Titanic until I saw that for the first time. Crazy! And oh, then wow. I rewatched Terminator, Terminator Two, and Aliens, and I was mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, no. James Cameron's amazing. Got to be a top yeah. 10 director of all time easily. Yeah. Like he's so I actually think he's kind of underrated now that he's on his uh walkabout just filming avatars for the rest of time in New Zealand. Yeah. Wait, Chris uh, no, and I so, still think he's on an extended vacation that these movies are never coming out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, that nothing is happening. Oh yeah, like, the first Avatar. I was a senior in high school when that came out. I have I have received like two degrees in the amount of time since the second I'm, one. I'm mm -hmm. convinced that they shot it like eight years ago, and then the technology <laughs> just keeps changing. And he's like, "Oh, let's go ahead and update it." Let's, no, I'm, I actually I'm put think it out you're yet. right. 
So I this I have an acquaintance who I haven't seen in years, but it's someone who was working as like a I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, whatever. He was working as like a, a body body double or or one of the sort of like underwater actors. I shit mm-hmm. you not, he has been working on this since almost I moved to LA, I think since about 2013. Yeah, yeah I so, think they like, just keep rent every time they get it like fully rendered, it's just like, oh, there's a new there's a new type of technology that'll make this look better and he's like, let's let's run it again. Yeah, I, I think, think he's right. just waiting for Sam Worthington to learn how to act. But <laughs> oh. oh, sorry. I didn't mean it. Sam Worthington, you're great. I have <laughs> Sam is Sam is one of our loyal listeners and you just heard oh, Jesus. <laughs> Sam is great. He's, He's got to listen credit. to something while he's sitting around the, the um, yeah, set of nothing. Avatar 2, 3, and 4. In Terminator Salvation, he absolutely was better than Christian Bale. So I'll leave it at that. No one else saw that movie except for me. No, I saw, oh, I, know, I saw it in theaters. Chris. I saw it in theaters also. I was going to say, I saw my favorite celebrity rant of all time. Not to get off topic, but Team Christian Bale on that one. Anyway. <laughs> same. Same. I'm also 100%. on Team Christian Bale. Me too. That. It's me, yeah. too. me too. <laughs> Don't fuck with the lights. No! <laughs> it's fucking distracting! Oh, God! You know, sorry, you know whose set that would never happen on? James, James Cameron's Cameron. set. James, exactly. If somebody started moving lights, James Cameron would drown them. Yeah, like, like you think Christian Bale's rant was bad? No, no, yes. no. Yeah. James Cameron would, like, rip your eyeballs out through your testicles. There's no <laughs> questions. <laughs> I was listening listening to your your guys' episodes on the abyss, and it was the part you play from the documentary when the guy's like, "Hey, my lights off, Jim." He goes, "It's a rehearsal, Gary." Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's like, hey, Jim, he's just like looking into an endless void, and I don't know what's happening. And he's like, "Gary, shut up." <laughs> Uh, it almost makes me love James Cameron because like that is what you want to say in that moment it's just like you don't need to see anything right now Gary no yeah and and I think Chris I heard in one of the episodes you you talked about how like this dude just like wants to make a movie like he wants to make this movie as best as he can yeah he's like that what I think he's a very odd blend of personality traits and Mm -hmm. skills because He's a wonderfully gifted artist. Mm-hmm. If you've watched him draw or looked, yeah. obviously he was doing the illustrations in the Titanic, but he if you look at what he does in prep, his designs for, you know, the movies that he's going to make, he's extremely talented and you would think that that's all left brain stuff. Uh, on top of that, he's obviously got a knack for story, you know, if you read his screenplays yeah. and character and female characters also. Yet he's also like a right brain nightmare. He's so type A, obviously, like he can just grind through anything. He seems very uncreative in terms of, I think there's an expectation that creative people, I'll work when inspiration strikes or, you know, I'm not into it today. James Cameron's just like, I'm on every day for technician mentality. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's like the perfect combination of engineer and artist. Well, and remember, if I think wasn't it that his his parents were an engineer yeah. and yeah. an artist? I think that exactly. like it was actually the that dichotomy with his parents. Um, yeah. I also do want to call out something that surprised me going back through James Cameron's movies is something Chris just mentioned, which is the female characters. I yeah. do think, like especially given like all the jokes about James Cameron and his wives and everything, I was not expecting to be struck by that going back at, to those movies. But like, with the possible exception of the abyss which is not even that bad, but she's like a little, she's a little one note. Um, Titanic, 
pretty great like for yeah. both rose and the unsinkable molly brown and the mother character is interesting like it's a, all of the women are are pretty well written um same for terminator like that's yeah you and really aliens is that. the big one like the ripley yeah. character in aliens is way cooler than even in the first movie because they just get to build on her character mm-hmm. yeah and they let her be both maternal towards newt and a total soldier badass and that the climax of that movie is one mother versus the other mother and that's what's so cool all the men are rendered utterly useless by the end of the film you know uh lance hendrickson's ripped in half michael (laughs) bean's like half acid like acid eaten away like lying in a bed and it's just up to her and like a blue collar worker like forklift loading machine to fight this alien queen it's uh yeah pretty legit. It, it was funny because I, I rewatched titanic today before recording and the when looking at say jack i was like this feels like a manic pixie dream boy yeah totally yes. <laughs> he's by yeah, far the least and, interesting character in yeah that. but like rose like rose has the arc rose yes. is the one who's going through the big changes in her life yeah rose is the main character like, yeah yeah and Jack's just kind of like there being cute and like helping the person come out of it yeah. and doesn't really so, learn much. Well, it's like he's like American, yet somehow he's on the other side of the ocean and now he needs to go back to America. Like, I didn't understand that element of the story at all. I was fine with it, but yeah, yeah. he didn't have uh, a future anyway, so it's fine. Yeah. Like, he was deserved that door. She was this like trapped in this like marriage, like kind of like arranged marriage with Billy Zane. Yeah. And like it's her like, and I think she's like seventeen years old is what she's playing in the movie. Something like that. Like and she pl- is really young like, on the set too. Yeah, she's she like just 20. looked a lot older because she, she and Leo yeah. were basically the same age. She looks like his babysitter, and right. it's a little. <laughs> he was older. Weird. He was like a year, at least a year or two yeah. older. It did not look that way on yeah. set. Yeah, it was that was a, an odd one. I, I come back to with with James Cameron. <laughs> babysitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, so Kate Winslet, for example, is now. Mm-hmm. She had a bad experience on Titanic in yeah. terms of production, yeah. almost drowned, uh, peed herself constantly. And yeah. she is now working on Avatar 2. And she will be working yeah. on Avatar 2 until she dies. And, uh, <laughs> so what I do think is interesting is that there is a, however challenging it is to work with James Cameron, people fall in one of two camps. They either are instantly loyal and will work with him forever, or they'll take like a movie or two off and then they'll come back to him because he's great no matter what. And like, I believe it's James Horner who ended up doing the score for Titanic. James Mm -hmm. Horner was brought on to do the score for Aliens and he was given almost no time. It was, I think, six weeks between when he was brought on and the theatrical release. And Horner was brought in and he just, they, they're like, okay, here's the completed film. You have six weeks. And he was just like, this is literally impossible. And Cameron just worked him into the ground. And apparently the yeah. tensions were so high that they swore to each other that they would like never work together again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then sure enough, Titanic comes around and he's like, man, it was a blast working with that James Horner guy. <laughs> let, let me call him up. And I think, I yeah. think what's nice is it's clear. I don't think he holds a grudge. You know what I mean? He views yeah. it as no, like, this yeah. is, we went to battle, tensions got high, we got the yeah. job done, and now I just want the best person for the job again, and I'm going to bring that person back. Yeah, it's it seems like he, like you said, he, he just, I think you guys said in one of your episodes of how, like, he asked people to do something that he would also do, and that's what they're, like, aware of. Like, I think with The Abyss, you're talking about how, like, he's the one that's the lowest in terms of, like, uh, in the water and staying there the longest amount of time compared to everyone else. Like, he'll do it 
and everyone kind of knows if he's asking you to do it, he'd also well, do the same thing. You, Brandon, you and you and I and Chris, I think we all heard this story at some point in film school. But we had a, a professor who was a camera op for him, and there was a. Do you, you yeah. remember this? He was. Um, I do. Yeah, he was supposed to shoot that scene in Terminator Two when they're down in the in the um, L.A. River and the helicopter flies under the bridge, and this guy who was the camera op said. This is, I'm on the back of a truck. I'm shooting this helicopter. Helicopter's right over me. It's coming oh under this God. bridge. I'm not doing this. This is dangerous. Yeah. And Cameron said, well, then hop off the truck and I'll do it. And he did. And like, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly, he had no problem with any, he's, he's not the type of person that's like, you go do this. I'm, yeah. I'm busy. Like everything he asked people to do, he had no problem doing himself. Mm-hmm. I will say it, that's interesting. You mentioned that don't want to get off topic but we are in the midst of a two-part series on twilight zone the movie which involved a helicopter mm-hmm. accident that went very yeah. wrong yeah. i think the difference between a director like james cameron and a director like john landis who was the one on twilight zone is that what you just said is james cameron did actually step in and do it for that guy when that mm-hmm. guy said i'm un- i'm uncomfortable like that's that's the the difference because uh and i think that's important um for a director you know to to be like then don't do it like yeah. and that's and that's okay and there's a weird trust there with the say cast and crew of like oh like he's gonna do it like if he'll if he'll if he's willing to do it there is like it, he's worried about his life and like in this is situation. he though i'm not sure he is I, maybe. <laughs> he put like cement shoes on his feet and that's went fair. to the bottom of a nuclear reactor and tank al- for and the also abyss. almost drowned yeah i think i think james cameron's dream is to keep making movies until he's about 85 and then to literally explode on set. Like, I think I think James Cameron wants to die in, like, an epic fireball. way. Like, the last shot of his last movie and all of a sudden he... They've, like, rigged him to blow up. And then, and they like, that's the end of his film career. Because I just, like... He's clearly an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. You know, I could see him... I could see him hopping in a submarine... And just driving to the deepest part of the ocean yeah, where you, exactly. can't, you, you cannot survive. He's like, <laughs> yeah. just as long as you guys can get the, the footage somehow, I'm doing literally. it. Let me go down and just like, sleep with the Titanic. That's what's going to I mean, happen. you brought yeah, up exactly. the abyss. He literally, there was a situation where he had to punch his safety diver in the face because the guy was not realizing <laughs> mm-hmm. that he, like the respirator was on upside down yeah. and he was not getting air out of it. So James yeah. Cameron's classic James Cameron move is to literally punch this man in the face and hope that somebody notices in time to get him another one so he didn't die 50 feet below the water and it yeah. worked it worked was, great yeah. so you know yeah. keep Something's it up wrong. jc so so the the big movie i want to talk about with you guys because uh, you guys have covered it recently is titanic and uh thomas and i have always talked about this how titanic feels like the biggest outlier in cameron's like filmography when you look at it it is and it, it might be like one of his like most misunderstood films, I will say, because there was like there's always been, like a weird backlash with that film after it came well, out. Well, And there uh-huh. was like, even getting it made like he had a lot of trouble. Yeah. People were like, you know, he showed up saying, I want to make a three hour long romance epic uh, on a boat. And everyone was like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, this does not match the canon of work that you've done at all to this point. And yeah. they're like, is it an action movie? And he's like, no. It's a romance, and then it sinks. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I heard like he said like Romeo and Juliet on the Titanic, yes, no sequel. That's what it was. But to me, okay, I would just argue that to me, True Lies is the outlier of his filmography. Okay, because okay. True Lies is the only movie, if I'm not mistaken, that he ever made that takes place in our time, place, and reality. 
Because hmm. Terminator is a totally Terminator science fiction other world. Terminator Two. Uh, That's aliens, fair. Titanic period piece. Uh, yeah. Piranha. An avatar. Piranha alternate reality. Those piranhas are not real. <laughs> uh, also, didn't, didn't didn't write it, so I'm not quite counting it. So to me, like like True Lies felt like like a standard like 90s action film that so because he makes epics and he makes like often science fiction or epic and so titanic still feels epic to me so i count that's a fair point that's true but there's no aliens it's not like the abyss where all of a sudden yeah i'm just thinking like helicopter chases and missiles and terminator yeah yeah group that with terminator but yeah you're right it's like it's not sci-fi at all i feel like billy zane is the least human of many characters (laughs) in most of his movies chris uh, he's rich that is his character no i know he's doing a great job (laughs) yeah so 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 lizzie you'd seen titanic before you guys revisited on the oh, show Oh yeah i was <laughs> however old i what that came out in 1998 seven that seven. Right? Seven? Seven. Yeah, yeah, seven this yeah. always blows mm-hmm. my mind i was eight years old when titanic came out how did i see it in theaters i have a lot I of questions i was not allowed to watch it what's funny is i had seen so when titanic came out i had seen terminator terminator 2 <laughs> and oh, wow. aliens and yet my oh, wow. dad said We've heard there are breasts in Titanic, and <laughs> you're not allowed to see Versus it. Versus my dad, who was like, "We're going, get in the car, let's go see Titanic." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my my mom had when when it came out. My mom had recently taken a trip to New York, and she bought the dual VHS off the yes. street. Oh yeah. And, yep. In New York, and brought it back, and we were allowed to watch it, but. We got through the first VHS and plugged the second one in, and it was just blank. There was nothing yeah. on it. So it was it was years before I saw the second half of Titanic. Oh, yeah. oh my god! That's, That's and my friend Andy Shepard had the double VHS, so I had seen the, the Kate Winslet yeah. drawing scene. I like we would you would like have to fast forward to the scene, watch it, and then you have to make sure you rewound the tape because otherwise <laughs> the next person starts yeah. it and they know exactly <laughs> where you were. Yeah. Exactly what was happening. Uh, <laughs> it was a very high stakes situation. So no, I so I had not have I had never seen the movie. I just never gotten around just to watching part. it. Yeah, I'd uh-huh. just seen the that scene. Uh which I remembered being much longer than when I rewatched yeah, it. And it's I was not like, long yeah. at all. And it's also it's not that uh, I would say by today's standards, very tastefully. No, done. it's very tasteful. Like it's I also want to say she I, has the power in the scene. Yeah. It's like clear he's nervous, you know, like yeah. I, I, have, I thought it was very well done. It is really well done. I, I have a new appreciation also for casting Kate Winslet for that role as well. Cause I remember at the time, like there was a lot of conversation about her body in that and everybody mm-hmm, being like, mm-hmm. whoa, like, you know, that's he cast a, like a quote unquote bigger girl for that, which is insane going back. Well, and yeah, at it her. was like the night, like the Kate Moss, like 90s. Yeah, it was like the, the heroin yeah. chic waifs that were, you know, mm-hmm. starring in movies. And that is not at all what Kate Winslet looked like. And she looks awesome. And so that was mm-hmm. that is cool to, like, go back and watch that. So, Chris, what were your thoughts when, like, watching it for the first time? So. I understand why they needed, why James Cameron included the introduction, the prologue and the epilogue that take place in modern times. Uh, I hate, that's the one part of the movie I don't like. Um, I hate that old lady so much. I just want her to jump off the boat. And uh, I felt the same way though. So Saving Private Ryan is another movie I love. I think it's a masterpiece. I don't care about old Matt Damon. Like in well, that, I'm just that one I, has I, way less old Matt Damon. Titanic no, it keeps cutting back to this annoying yeah. old lady yeah. who's harboring 
the diamond from Bill Paxton the whole time. Rude. She doesn't also, need it. Also, Bill Paxton's like a weird character. Also, it, how are strange. you going, James Cameron? How are you going to give us possibly the best Bill Paxton performance of his entire career in True Lies, and then just give him the most yeah. boring character to play in Titanic? Not, also, one of the best like characters and death scenes in Aliens yeah. Yeah. when he's like the game over man became the iconic thing of his career and now he's just having to sit around and listen to this old lady tell her stories uh, yeah I didn't love that <laughs> element it. of it it felt very that's what made the film feel more dated to me once we got okay. into their story and we were on the ship and we were moving I was like this is outstanding uh, mm-hmm. it's great. all the hubris of we can't stop the boat we can't turn it around there won't be a problem felt very relevant in the middle of a pandemic where we seemingly can't do anything right um, yeah. the visual effects for the most part I thought were still great for you know with a couple exceptions that you would expect it, it has yeah. the kind of staying power of like a Jurassic Park from a mm-hmm. visual uh kind of perspective and i totally get why people were obsessed with leo and and kate winslet coming off of the movie because they're very lovable and they seem to have a great chemistry in that movie also i did love i'm gonna just pull up the actress's name right now because my favorite james cameron kind of um character actor that he casts a lot her name's jeanette Mm -hmm. goldstein jeanette goldstein yeah and she so she plays um one of she the, plays the the Irish mother in it, Titanic. She plays the Irish mother who dies with her kids yeah. in Titanic. She also yeah. plays Private Vasquez in Aliens, and she plays John Connor's mo- stepmom, foster mom in Terminator Two. Mm-hmm. And so she is so eclectic, and uh, she plays like across different ethnicities and 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 whatnot. Uh, she plays like Irish and Latin and and kind of white trash in terminator 2 and uh anyway i just i was very thrilled when i saw her because i think she's kind of an underrated performer now lizzie this is a this is a movie whose legacy is one that like more than any other movie has sparked so many people saw this in theaters two three four times were you a were you a repeat theater goer or were you just once i don't think i was because i was so little Hmm. Um, like I still have questions about how and why I went to see this in the theaters, <laughs> which I will be asking my father. Uh, all I remember is him throwing, I was wearing like a little cardigan that had like little pearls all over it. And I remember him throwing the cardigan in my face when the sex scene happened <laughs> and me trying to like scramble it off my face and watch what was happening on the screen. No, I don't Wait, think the, I... the sex scene in the car or the, the sex scene in the car, drawing. not to his credit. I don't think he cared about the boobs because he figured I was going to have them at some point, but the sex <laughs> yeah, scene, that fair. was off limits. <laughs> so yeah, that's that what he wanted sense. me not to be able to see. Um, she can't see those foggy windows. But I know I watched it like a million times when we had it on VHS. And the other thing I remember mm-hmm. about it is so badly wanting the shitty, shitty little replica necklace that they sold at Borders mm, Books yes. and Music after it came out the like plastic blue plastic like piece of shit (laughs) there were like at least 10 girls in my class who came to school within like four weeks who had those and they were like because you had the you had the britney spears too you know you had the whole britney spears reference so that was huge i didn't even understand that until i was an adult and i was actually just the other day in the kitchen listening to oops i did it again and Mm -hmm. she was like is it and he goes yeah Mm -hmm. i thought the old lady dropped it in the ocean at the end and she's like i went down and got it for you oh you shouldn't have <laughs> I, I was today years old when i found that out guys, yes she references the hope diamond in oops i did it again oh which is an yeah. amazing video <laughs> yeah we were i think we're a little older than than you you two so we were like kind of right in the th- like 
because it was the kids that were a little older than us i think who were who really, really obsessed with the movie yeah. you know what i mean it was like yeah. it was my friend my friend's older siblings who were yeah. like I remember they were going every weekend. Mm -hmm. It was like, can you drop us off at the movies? Can you drop us off at the movie? And because it was rated PG-13, you didn't need a parent yeah. to go yeah. with. And it was yeah. just that combination of spectacle, heartthrobs. Yeah. It, it was yeah. it was some kind of perfect chemistry that that it's you know famously one of the most successful films of all time. It had the soundtrack. Yeah, I, mean, I had a, I had, a, I had yeah. yeah so the, yeah the same with soundtrack. So I I had an older sister for one, so she was really in like in the whole Leo mania. Like had posters of Titanic, also had posters of Man the Iron Mask on her wall. Oh, I watched that uh, trash. It was bad. <laughs> that was the first DVD I ever owned. No, I loved. I loved that movie. I bought. I bought that, and I bought the the Disney Three Musketeers with like Oliver Platt and oh Charlie Sheen, oh and I had those two. And and, uh, and a Kiefer Sutherland. Yep. Yeah, and my so my sister was a big fan. So I, that was like the movie I remember, like my sister going to see, and I wasn't allowed to go see. Yeah. was the thing but i was the first person in my neighborhood to actually have like the cd of the soundtrack so like that Very made me like some cool cred. for like a that made me cool for like a week because i would like literally just i put the boom box out <laughs> you guys want to come listen to the celine dion song I've got. <laughs> guys kids these days don't know what they're missing <laughs> put the boom box out put in the cd press play turn it up and they start flocking to me is what <laughs> yeah it was. when you're young you have to come up with whatever like like hooks that you can to like yeah. lure other children to come be your friend and my yeah. house it was that my dad so my parents had given so we had hollywood video we didn't have blockbuster we had hollywood video and my because i would rent all the rated r movies that my dad like die hard he loved watching those movies and i would ride my bike down and rent them and so he signed off permission for me to be able to rent rated r movies <laughs> under his name and so my friends loved coming with me to hollywood video because we could rent all the it's like hey you want to go watch a movie at the Winterbower's house and it was like what do you want to watch like yeah you know hey and die hard if you pause it right here when hans gruber's pulling these people out of the conference room you can see a boob for one second like let's let's check it out and so yeah it was you know titanic whatever it was yeah. you had to come up with your currency to get kids. Yeah, to be cool. In the, cool in the, and my place was the neighborhood. So real quick, too, with Titanic, you guys cover on the show. I don't want to go into full detail because I want people to go listen to your show about this. But what were some, like, big issues around that production? Oh, my God. My favorite story that we came across on Titanic, I mean, outside of Kate Winslet almost drowning and, and extras just breaking every limb, um, was the fact that some crew member got so frustrated uh, on the Canadian shoot, um, mm -hmm. that they spiked the clam chowder with PCP um, at one of the set dinners that was happening like late at night. James mm -hmm. Cameron and Bill Paxton both ate it, uh, as did a, the vast majority of the crew. Leo, Kate, and the old lady, thank God, were not there. Um, mm -hmm. But that's my favorite. Like they they listened to our podcast about it. Somebody spiked it with PCP, and it ends up with the entire cast and crew in the hospital in Canada, just like playing hacky sack and crying. In also, the halls. James Cameron ends up stabbed with a pencil. He did. He did. Yeah, point. someone stabbed him with a pencil at some point during this acid trip that yes. was, was induced by a cast member. Indeed. That was my one of my favorite. That that's probably the best I think like story <laughs> off of this. Uh, the other one I loved was that James Cameron convinced an executive to give him Lizzie. It's somewhere in the tune of like four to eight million dollars to just go down and film the Titanic. Yes. And then they ended up yeah. not even using any of that footage no. in the final film. That was just he for got... him to get an emotional sense of it. And then he was like, Correct. one more time. Got to go back down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he specifically didn't 
allow them to use that. He was like, that one's just for Jimmy. And we're going to go <laughs> do that again later. <laughs> and yeah, it was... Uh, he. I mean, he knew what he wanted and he would do what it took to get it. And then the other... Uh, the other reason to go listen to that episode is there is a producer uh, by the name of Bill Mechanic mm-hmm. who oh, is yeah. he is the mechanic that got this movie made and there are just some great stories of like Bill Mechanic loaded up his sedan and drove to Mexico because yep. James Cameron was going <laughs> off the deep end and somebody needed to go in and lay down the law. So it didn't work for the record. They had like no. a screaming fight where uh, Bill Mechanic thought James Cameron was going to kill him and then. Uh, the scenes they were discussing are in the movie, so it would appear yeah, that yeah. James Cameron won that one. Won that <laughs> well, wasn't it that like James Cameron was like I, he just got in his car and drove away at one yeah, point? He just he left. Was, <laughs> yeah, he like in the middle of the conversation, he was like, "I'm not coming back until he apologizes." And then they like both went to their corners, and then I don't know, yeah. came back the next day yeah. and got to and it. And also, uh, the who the one of the head execs at Paramount, Sherry um, Lansing. I, but was it Sherry Lansing who yeah. like? She went over, everyone was nervous about the movie and then she went to Cameron's and he started just showing her scenes and he ended up, she just was so captivated by every scene that he showed her that he basically Mm -hmm. ended up showing her the entire movie Mm -hmm. and to the time just disappeared and it didn't matter that she'd been there for four hours. It felt like she hadn't been there for more than 15 minutes and that was the moment when I think she realized oh my god we have something magical here yeah. and i'm guessing that's before a lot of the vfx were put in you know yeah it was. Uh, well and so that's just off of the kate and leo dynamic not a ton of of i think one of the reasons it probably looked so great is like there's not actually a ton of quote-unquote visual effects mm-hmm. in this like, right or post-production yeah. visual right, effects. Yeah, right yeah. like there but i mean like they there did some, some green screen at the end of the uh, end of the movie some and stuff yeah. like but that. like the stuff that's super impressive with the ship and the ship sinking that was built for real like the that was built on hydraulic lifts so that he could sink the titanic over and over yeah. and over again and the reason it looks so good when those people are like hurtling hundreds of feet and hitting oh, all those things they is that they're, they're hurtling yeah. hundreds, hundreds of feet and hitting all of those things yeah he also uh, said that he wished he could put all of his extras in harnesses um so that they couldn't go to the bathroom there was like something about that where he was tired of them oh, asking for bathroom breaks he and- should have just been like sponsored by depends and we're like <laughs> So so diapers into the harnesses for you guys. Now, did he build two ships? Is what it was. Was it like one that was on hydrox and one that was like regular, or was that just? Am I wrong on that? No, no. He built uh, definitely built more than more than one model what? of it. Yeah. The the okay. big one that you see is the one that's like once it's already started sinking, and you see kind yeah. of the like back half of it that's sticking out of the water. That was built so he could literally shift the angle of that so it's almost upright. So what Chris is talking about where the extras are are like sliding down the thing, that's because he literally just put them all on the boat, said good luck, and then jacked it up to 90 degrees <laughs> and let them all go flying down the deck. And here's, yeah. here's some PCP too, so have fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess my, my, one question I had too for you guys, uh, with all of us talking about like his pitch and like getting money, if, if he came to you with this idea, would you say yes to this movie? Probably not. It was so much money. It was so much money. When he was like, love story on the Titanic, at least half of the movie is just the ship sinking. And then he's like, only $200 million. Well, he didn't say it was that much at first. No, he said like a hundred. That's how much it got. Yeah, He said like a hundred or 110 at first, which is so much money back then. I love aliens so much that he could Mm -hmm. have come to me and said he wanted to make pretty much anything. Avatar? 
If he had said I want, if he had said he wanted to make six avatars, I probably would have said no. <laughs> but uh, if he had just said one, I think I would have yeah. said yes. P- people wanted to be in the James Cameron business at that point. Like it's like with every movie. I think maybe the Abyss was the big uh, exception. It was like they were big hits, or they made yeah. they made a lot of money back. Yeah, yeah. The Abyss was his least financially successful, but it was still it did still not break a, even. But yeah, eventually it broke even. Yes, yeah, it, it did, was. It, did. it was like a. Probably fifty million budget, and it made ninety million at the box office. Yeah. Then you add in like VHS and rentals and stuff, and it's probably yeah. fine. Um, it is fine, but it but certainly nowhere near the other ones. <laughs> yeah, like with Titanic, you're talking about the money. I mean, people were concerned about it all the way through. I think actually, what happened, I might get this wrong, but I believe it. Like initially, it was with Universal. And as they started to see all the line items adding up, they were like, "Fuck!" Yeah, it was, this. it was a co-production, and so they. That's when they. Uh, they Paramount left. basically found out that they were like getting nervous. So, or was it Fox mm-hmm. and Paramount? Or I can't remember. It was Fo- Fox and it's, Paramount were the ones that ended okay, up doing so it. it. Was, yeah, but Universal stepped out of the co-production yes. and Fox stepped yeah. in. They backed out. Fox jumps in. It ends up being a co-production. Or sorry, Paramount jumps in. Ends up being a co-production between Fox and Paramount. Um, and that's because they were all super scared about the. Well, the and yeah. Fox, Fox and Universal had done True Lies together. That's so, right. So like, they were re-upping to do the next movie together, and then Paramount came in. But I think it was something like Universal had just done Waterworld. Was that right, Chris? Yeah, Universal so they were had like, just done Waterworld in 1995. We are not doing another water-based movie, um, <laughs> for obvious reasons. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's. Yeah. I think. I think it was a tough sell. I mean, it was something where like Titanic is kind of the outlier. A lot of times we've seen movies that started to get bad press before they were released yeah. and it really badly damaged the movie. That didn't happen with Titanic. It got terrible press before it came out. Like that's something that I think we don't remember because we were so young, but the press that there was like a very famous article written by a super famous entertainment reporter, the headline of which was like glub, glub, glub. Can anything yeah. save James Cameron's Titanic? Um, and they were thinking at the time that it was going to be mathematically impossible for Titanic to even break even because the most or the most profitable three hour long movie to date had been Dances with Wolves. (laughs) So they were like, this is no Dances with Wolves. (laughs) Well, speaking of uh, speaking of press aging badly, this goes along with this. I found an article not long ago that was about the Leonardo DiCaprio craze and it was during it was in pre-production for Titanic but it wasn't when he was starting to kind of come up and he had his whole group of boys and and all that and the article says something about like depending on how Titanic does it's possible that the Leonardo DiCaprio bubble might burst soon and he (laughs) might and and he might go the way of Brad Pitt which I guess in 1997 (laughs) they thought Brad Pitt was on his way out what (laughs) yeah yeah Brad Pitt wasn't reinvented until Ocean's Eleven yeah. yeah, but he, I, I, like, I was like, meet, wow, this, meet this article is wrong on two accounts. <laughs> they were like, in Meet Joe Black, he got hit by a car nine times, and then yeah. the movie went on for four hours, and no one watched it. <laughs> and so they were like, what's happening with Brad Pitt? And then they put him in Ocean's Eleven, and they are like, oh my god, he couldn't be funny. Like, he's, oh, he's a movie star. Oh, the, what was the one with Joey Roberts, the, the, the Mexican? The, uh, the Mexican. Yeah, that oh, one bombed. That was yeah. not good. That was yeah. that was oh I think oh one two thousand something like yeah, that. Yeah, he had a couple in there that were. But yeah, I hope, I hope the reporter that wrote that article saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I hope they I hope they really like, enjoyed oh, it. Man, I was so wrong. <laughs> well, the the one that was supposed to be the bigger because that little group it was him and then it was um, Toby Maguire, Toby Maguire, and Lucas Haas, Lucas Haas, only um, known yeah. as the little kid from Witness. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. and the random guy in Chris Nolan movies. Yes. Yeah, and so. Uh, Toby Maguire was supposed to be the like 
actual actor that was going to come yeah. out of that. Wasn't one of the dudes from Entourage in that group? Ke- Kevin Conley. Yeah, yeah oh. Kevin Conley. Conley. Yeah. And David yeah. Blaine. David Blaine ran with them a lot. They're actually. all so short. <laughs> I cannot imagine a room of people I would like to be in less than one with an Entourage <laughs> cast member, David Blaine, and then the rest of the... What do they call Leonardo DiCaprio's pack? Is it the... The, the pussy posse. The pussy posse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. <laughs> just like, That's still what Leo calls his group of friends. Good. <laughs> Good. Just picture like David Blaine doing magic tricks in a nightclub with oh. all of them. Just like... <laughs> if I've been bad when I die, like that's where I'm going to go. It's that go. nightclub. <laughs> it's the Star Wars cantina, but it's just all these guys <laughs> <No>. there. <laughs> just... just singing and dancing <laughs> so also real quick so i think chris you, you, you said a few of these but what were your favorite scenes in titanic when you guys watched it the irish dancing scene yeah it's great oh, yeah where they're like all below decks and they're dancing i love that scene uh the moment when the quartet is packing up on uh yeah. above decks and then they start they go back and they keep playing and they all end up dying uh is a beautiful moment um I like the drawing scene. I did not. I don't love the like. I'm flying. I'm king of the world, like stuff. That didn't hit for me. Um, but the drawing scene I thought was very was good. And I liked when Jack was like at dinner with with that them. That was great. And, yeah. I loved that. And, like Kathy Bates, Kathy Bates likes him, and you know that sort of stuff was mm. was fun. And where exactly do you live, Mr. Dawson? Well, right now my address is the RMS Titanic. After that, I'm on God's good humor. And how is it you have means to travel? I work my way from place to place, you know, tramp steamers and such. But I won my ticket on Titanic here at a lucky hand at poker. A very lucky hand. Hmm. All life is a game of luck. Hmm. A real man makes his own luck, Archie. Right, Dawson? Hmm. And you find that sort of rootless existence appealing, do you? Oh, yes, ma'am, I do. I mean, Got everything I need right here with me. Got air in my lungs and a few blank sheets of paper. I mean, I love waking up in the morning not knowing what's gonna happen or who I'm gonna meet, where I'm gonna wind up. Just the other night I was sleeping under a bridge and now here I am on the grandest ship in the world having champagne with you fine people. I'll take some of that. I figure life's a gift and I don't intend on wasting it. You never know what hand you're gonna get dealt next. You learn to take life as it comes at you. Oh, here you go, Cal. To make each day count. Well said, Jack. Yeah, yeah. To make me count. I think for me, what struck me watching it again was like, and and maybe this is coming from having done the research and also knowing more about him from The Abyss, but like I was really impressed with the scenes when the ship is just starting to sink. Um, like the way that you kind of see the water start to creep up and, and Mm -hmm. like how claustrophobic he's able to make it. That scene where Kate Winslet had us on that long, beautiful coat and she's like trying to get through as the water is rising in those hallways. Mm -hmm. Like I, that really was amazing. Um, and And any time that they were in the, uh, the engine room when yeah. they're shoveling the coal because those yeah. sets are so enormous and you see those giant pistons going and th- so those scenes I thought were really just visually remarkable as well yeah it was a lot a lot was really really good um, did not enjoy the hawking loogie scene made me f- feel a little <laughs> ill uh, that, yeah if I'm being honest, I would love to just fast forward to when the ship starts sinking. Like everything okay. before that's fine. It's it's fine. I want to see the ship sink. It's so good. 
It is amazing how he did that. That's how I felt when I watched it yeah. recently. I still I still love the movie, but I was like the the love story feels a little I'm not I won't say underdeveloped, but it just feels like I really want to get to that 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 ship. It just doesn't ha- it doesn't have the rewatchability as just yeah. the pure physical like like wa- the part of watching the ship sink is knowing that it's all yeah real like yeah. knowing the process that went into it and and just yeah. admiring it every time you watch it and and i think too it's like i, I do think that's, that's why it gets a little bit of a bad rep is that opening part of that love story for yeah. the first like hour and a half because it's not as good as it could be and people kind of forget in terms of we're talking about how it is it's kind of an outlier but also not outlier is that it's still an end of the world movie like all of these people on this ship it's the end of the world to them and you're seeing what happens when a, a civilization kind of crumbles and every, you start seeing like the the animalistic instincts of a lot of these characters like what are they going to do it's billy zane pushing people off the boat to make sure he gets away or it's uh it's jack's best friend who's like trying to get the boat off and save people like you start seeing like who they all are as like human beings at their core is what it is because it's this end of the world like scenario yeah, yeah and like uh yon what's that guy's name yon griffith yon griffith trying to justify being there why do you hate him <laughs> i don't i'm just teasing <laughs> i'm being rude uh he wasn't he roommates with two other yeah very he lived British? with matthew reese and michael sheen um in like a what's, london what's apartment fake? Did he not get? He did not get in. on with a vineyard. He didn't get invited to. Um, don't they own a vineyard together now? Do what? Matthew Reese and Michael Sheen do they? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know. Pretty, they had a show on some channel just about their them running their vineyard <laughs> wow. together, and I, I don't think they show. invited Yon Griffith to. Um, they didn't. No, Yon's Reese and not Sheen. there. And Yon Griffith has his own winery <laughs> called <laughs> "Fuck You Guys." <laughs> <laughs> it's called Sour Grapes, and that's the name of his wine. Uh, yeah. So, so a few things. We sometimes in the show we go through like alternate cast of like what could have been with the oh, movie. Oh, so mm-hmm. many for Titanic. Yeah, and I want to get your thoughts. I don't know if Thomas has read these, but I get your thoughts on would have been better or like what were your thoughts on okay, this? Give it to uh, us. For Jack Dawson, uh, these people were considered by Cameron, but some were deemed too old. Matthew McConaughey. No, not, I mean no. <laughs> I would have liked to hang out with him That's during not a the, good the singing Dur- of the Titanic. During but, the PCP? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. <laughs> all right, all right, uh, all right. <laughs> uh, Chris, Chris O'Donnell. No. Uh, no. No. <laughs> uh, Billy Crudup. Oh, too old. Probably too old. No, Maybe I don't think he would have been that old. Cause he's How a, old is Billy Crudup? He might be a little <laughs> older than Leonardo DiCaprio. I think you're right. But yeah. Leo also looked very young. Mm. Yeah. He's 52... Uh, and DiCaprio is 48, 45. Okay. So he would have been seven years older. He's a good older. actor, though. Yeah. I would have liked him in Billy Zane's role. Yeah, absolutely. He could have been, been such been, a good that, that bad Billy, Billy Crudup. Yeah, That's that interesting, been, yeah. Because he's great as an asshole. There, there, uh, uh, Stephen Dorff was another one for Jack Dawson. I like Stephen Dorff. I don't like him for uh, this role. No. But, yeah. But I do think he's an underrated actor. This person was interested but his asking price was too high. Oh, this has got to be Tom Cruise. This is Tom Cruise, no. yes. No, no, no. no. Just go Picture him first running up the deck as, <laughs> yeah. as a Titanic. Yes. Yes. Oh, like, no. Also, oh, like, no. how James, many Apple boxes? I can do it. I can <laughs> do it, James. You have to put him on. You have to put him on, like, four feet. He'd probably not kill Jack in the end. That's the thing. No, but here's the thing. Yeah, yeah Tom, no, because no, Tom Cruise would have gone to James Cameron on the first day of filming, and he would have said, James, we got a problem. If Tom Cruise is on the Titanic, there's no way the Titanic sinks. It just doesn't happen. 
How are we going to make this work? And then as James Cameron tries to argue with him, all of Scientology shows up behind him yeah, with exactly. a bunch of clipboards and e-meters being like, no, he yeah. lives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, or like, it's like Mark Wahlberg when he's like, if I was on one of those planes. Oh my God. How that would have happened? Don't get me started on Mark Wahlberg. I have well, a lot of feelings. And then like McConaughey would have been running around with a shirt off in Titanic. That's what would have happened. There is, there's one that I know of that you didn't mention here. Do you have more you're going to go through? Because there's... I, yeah, I have, two, I have two more. I have two more. Okay, there's one that's interesting that I know got pretty far. Uh, Jared Leto, but he refused to audition for the movie. Okay. Well, he was he was only thirty seconds to Mars at the time, so no, he had done Requiem for a Dream, right? No, that was two thousand. That was later. later, Yeah, he would have been on My So Called Life at that point. That's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then last one I have Jeremy Sisto. That's yep. Who did screen tests for the film? Is what it was. He got pretty far, and what a weird choice. Um, I like Jeremy Sisto a lot, but there's something very dark and creepy about him always. (laughs) So I don't think that would have made sense. Let me draw you, Rose. For Rose, these were these were ones that were considered. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, no, eh, she's a no. good actress. Yeah, Winona Ryder, no, she, she would have been no. way too anxious to be on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Claire Danes, that could have been fine. And it was like trying to be like a reunion of like DiCaprio right. and her after Romeo and Juliet. Um, and last one I have Reese Witherspoon. No. <laughs> oh my God, no. I that's just gonna get me I love Reese Witherspoon but I really have a a bone to pick with her now after she chose to take on the role of a precocious young reporter in the morning show and her wigs are inexcusably bad but if Titanic was about a precocious young reporter (laughs) who knows something about how the ship's not as safe as that it seems. That could have been Reese Witherspoon when she was 20 years old. And she's also, like, yeah, Bob. Yeah. And it could yeah, have been also Mark just not, not as loaded. stalker. As long like, as, I, I, yes, I would just not make have bought her as, like, super rich. <laughs> and then the ones I have for Cal, for Billy Zane's character. Apparently he was offered, but turned it down. Matthew McConaughey again. You know what? That could have maybe He could have been good worked. as Cal. Yeah, yeah I yeah. could see him. The only one. Like, the really upper class guy, though? That's yeah. the problem. Is like I don't know if he could. Maybe if he was like an oil, oil. That's the thing. Make him like a like a Western yeah. oil tycoon or something, yeah. and, and I, I can buy it. That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then apparently this actor pursued the role but didn't get it. Uh, Rob Lowe. Well. <laughs> oh, that could have been good too. I love Rob Lowe. I like Rob Lowe. I don't think he would have been right for this. Remember him in yeah. Tommy Boy? But would he have been He's... better than Billy Zane? Yes. I think the answer there is potentially yes. <laughs> Lo- love Billy Zane, but like remember how sort of like menacing and snippy he was in Tommy Boy, Rob Lowe? I feel like that could have translated yeah. well to Titanic. I feel like anybody's menacing opposite Chris Farley, though. That's true. That's like He's just so movie. happy. Yeah, he's just like so nice. I would seem like a psychopath <laughs> for him. <laughs> Uh, my yeah, I feel like Alan Rickman should have been Billy Zane's character because she, he should just always be the villain oh. in every movie. Except of you know all what time. movie he's not the villain in, where he does star opposite Kate Winslet, is Sense and Sensibility, where he ends yeah. right. the one that she ends up falling in love with, and they're great yeah. together. Yeah. It's true. If you had to choose what James Cameron film you'd be willing to shoot on or be on set for, what would it be? <laughs> or would I want to be on set for? Yeah, Aliens. It's on a soundstage. The, almost the entire thing. Sigourney Weaver's there. There's a child actor on set, so the, the shooting hours are going to be way easier That's true. as a result. Uh, I would get to meet Michael Bean, who's like a personal hero of mine. Uh, Lance Henriksen also. And I think Aliens is the greatest sequel of all time. So I would probably pick Aliens. Okay. Well, I'm going to say, first of all, definitely not The Abyss. 
Mm, um, no. Like, I'm almost, I'm leaning towards either Terminator 2 or Titanic. I feel like I would probably go Titanic because it would be so cool to see the set pieces and the costumes. Like, yeah. one thing that we know he did on Titanic was he was so crazy about the set pieces and details being specific down to the the white star stamp on the china that you wouldn't see because it's on the underside Mm -hmm. of a cup james (laughs) um but everything was like to a t uh i think i would have as as much as it might have been a nightmare to work on i would have done titanic because it would have looked so cool yeah i think with the details real quick on titanic i think i heard that there was one thing where they had to shoot a certain way on titanic but it didn't match up with historically accurate of what happened so they put all like the wording that's on no, the clothes. No, that's true. Like, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, okay. backwards. So they. Yeah. So the the orientation of the ship was yeah. the wrong direction at the docking scene when they're just starting. That's right. And, that's it. Okay. And so it was more expensive to change the orientation of the ship than it was to print all of the text backwards. So they yeah. in, they flipped all of the film footage. That's awesome. In post, so it worked. But what it does is that if you pay attention the actors' faces look subtly different during okay. those outdoor scenes because if your face... Now, actors tend to have more symmetrical faces than us ugly people, mm-hmm. but the <laughs> if you look, like some of them, it looks a little bit off in certain moments because the face is actually flipped in those yeah. sequences. Hmm. Um, and if you have an actress... So there's an actress who I think is amazing. Her name's Kara Hayward. She was in Moonrise Kingdom. Um, mm-hmm. If you guys remember the young girl, she has a really unique face where like one half of her face is actually like distinctly lower than the other half of her face. And you can't mm-hmm. flip like her footage. Yeah. Very, if you do, the, you'll instantly know that it's off. And for the most part, we can if we see a photo of ourselves that's reversed, we can tell that it's reversed. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, they did. They did do that. They did all the embroidery backwards, everything, all the letters backwards. I mean just to make sure it was crazy right. attention to detail yeah they also had to use period appropriate actual wallpaper versus just painting it so that the water oh, damage gosh. would ruin the wallpaper every time they there was one thing with the chandelier remember that big beautiful chandelier in the kind of mm-hmm. entryway when they're walking down the set designers were like well, okay we're gonna make it out of lucite and james cameron was like uh excuse me lucite doesn't make the little tinkling sound that crystal does when this <laughs> ship is sinking and crashing so it's not gonna be lucite and they were like but uh, Foley sounds like <laughs> somewhere a Foley not. artist like died. <laughs> absolutely not. It will be. So that was a full blown no, real crystal post, chandelier. I bet you in post a Foley artist was at their house and all of a sudden a truck pulls up and just dumps an enormous chandelier on their <laughs> yeah. driveway and it's like James Cameron needs you to Foley the fuck out of this scene. <laughs> just shaking it. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. And then uh, last question for you guys. Uh, I think Chris kind of already answered a little bit of it, but what is your favorite James Cameron film and why? Mm. Lizzie, I'll let you go and then I'll follow up. Yeah, I would I would go with Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I love that movie. I think it's I think it's better than Terminator. Um, yes. mm-hmm. It's just so good. Linda Hamilton so good. is so jacked in that movie. It <laughs> makes me want to do one pull up if I could. I don't think I can, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd go that one. Okay. It's a that one's a such a close second for me. It's like that is it just such holds a up so movie. well. Like it, it, no, it's, it's great. Perfect. You can still watch it. The T one thousand still looks great. Like it's yes. it, yeah. Although he totally stole the T one thousand design from THX eleven thirty eight. Just leaving it there. If anybody wants to go look at what the bad guys in THX eleven thirty eight look like, they are no, silver. I don't. They are silver motorcycle cops. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> uh, I gotta go with aliens though, just because I think mm-hmm. the re and and the reason is he took somebody else's franchise in that instance 
yeah. and rewrote it into something completely different that I think like enhanced on the mythology and it was like a perfect horror and action movie kind of all in one. But Terminator yeah. 2 Judgment Day is amazing. So Those were definitely his top two for me. Yeah. Well, and he does the same thing with Terminator 2 Judgment Day is, you know, the first one is sci-fi but it's like sci-fi horror there's yeah, michael yeah, it's exactly. michael myers but robot michael myers mm-hmm. and then two is like you know what let's let's just make this an action movie let's yeah. let's so throw out good. all those horror elements so yeah he good. likes switch switching genres in in the sequel world in the like, mall when schwarzenegger's like walking up and he just pulls the shotgun out of the rose out of the roses oh, yeah it's so good and then he and uh patrick what's the guy robert patrick are just like punching each other into walls like not yeah. reacting it's so funny it's and then also like what then when he goes he'll be back like that's the best reuse of the line from the first movie it's so good yeah it's great i just wish that i guess there was one deleted scene with michael bean in it in terminator yes. 2 God, you love yes, michael bean chris i, I feel like so good listen i gotta tell you something meeting michael bean that's an achievable dream i think like, you can <laughs> no. do that it's like i am like i am like uh troy i'm like troy on a uh, community where like i don't <laughs> you can't disappoint a photo yeah troy uh troy doesn't want to meet lavar burton because he'll disappoint <laughs> him if he does and that's how i feel about michael bean right. i just think he should have had the career that and i'm trying to think of the right example he's coming back yeah he should have had a better career he's so good anyway. all right chris for your birthday or for major christmas uh michael bean is on cameo oh my god <laughs> don't tell chris anymore we're gonna do this he's no i like my dream is to cast him in something if i ever had the opportunity he's so that's what good. a cameo is chris you're yeah, exactly. <laughs> The Mandalorian, by the way, that's what he's coming back in a, a big role okay. on. And then he's got some other, he's got some other yeah. stuff. He's coming, he's coming back, he's guys. Great. The king of of James Cameron movies, though, because er, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. The guy that transcends all of this is Bill Paxton, and the reason mm-hmm. I say that is, yeah. he is great in so many of James Cameron's movies, but he also is the only person who has ever been on screen killed by. The Terminator, mm-hmm. the Alien, and Predator, oh. and so yeah. he's because he got killed by a Predator in, in Predator Two. So mm-hmm. so Bill Paxton is the champion, and I wanted him to be an Avatar so he could get killed by one of the aliens <laughs> in Avatar, and he could like complete the holy quadrilogy of that. But apparently, yeah. just wasn't wasn't for us. Well, thank you so much for coming on, guys. Where can we find you? Where can we find you guys? Ah, you can find What Went Wrong, our podcast on Apple, uh, Spotify, and Stitcher. You know, as well you as listen to podcasts. And if you're like a real strange bird, <laughs> we're on also Google Podcasts. Mm. Oh. Which I guess. Yeah. If you want to link it up to your Google Plus account, you, you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. If you like if, that. Okay, Sergi Brand, if you're out there and you want to listen to this, like, go ahead and go to your Google Pods. You know uh, yeah. he uses Apple iTunes. <laughs> he does. And every time he just pulls out a whip and just hits himself on the back, like flogs himself while he's listening. Uh, yeah, you can find us on all those yeah. uh, platforms, and as you mentioned. please follow us and at What Went Wrong Pod on Instagram. Great. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. And if you guys haven't yet, be sure to leave Cinenation a wonderful rating and review. Five stars, yes. five stars, only five stars. Uh, we all need to support each other. Yes. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the 
fuck are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? So that was Chris and Lizzie. Make sure you guys go and check out their podcast, What Went Wrong. They, yeah, we we, we brought it up, but they also did a great episode on The Abyss. Um, we did not yeah. go very deep at all into how troubled that production was. So highly recommend their Titanic episode and their Abyss episode. So back to Cameron. So after Titanic, he dives into doing... <laughs> no pun intended uh, a bunch of do- a bunch of a bunch of documentaries about uh like deep uh deep sea ex- like uh expeditions basically and he goes and de- we won't spend too much on this but he does goes to the abyss which is like a titanic uh aliens in the deep uh i think as well on the bismarck expedition so a lot of different movies uh from 1997 to when he does avatar in 2009 that's kind of why avatar felt like such a surprise was i think we had all just yeah. kind of assumed that Cameron had like dropped Titanic and then he was like, all right, I'm just like, this I'm is done. me now. I'm a deep sea document. Like th- uh, this is what I'm doing now. So when Avatar came, we were yeah. all like, hold up, James Cameron's back. He's been working on this thing. And, and here we go. Avatar is about Jake Sully. He is a uh, paraplegic who his brother, who is like a scientist gets killed and he's about to go to this world called Pandora and of the and, and kind of study these people called the navi and they they had a essentially a surrogate body which was a, a navi surrogate body that jake's brother would basically kind of go like go into it's very like this matrix-esque thing and what happens is that when you create that navi body you have to have someone who matches that like the dna or something of that thing that they created and they spent so much money into it and this guy has now died and they're like well hell how do we like how do we use this thing we just spent like millions of dollars on oh he has a twin brother who has the same dna as him basically let's just use him so he's a former marine who gets sent to the the world of pandora kind of this fish out of water story of him getting paired with uh the scientists who all kind of hate him play one of them is played by sigourney weaver Cameron, we haven't mentioned it, but Cameron's, again, we said anti-corporation, but also very environmentalist, and that's very apparent in Avatar. Yeah. And so I rewatched it for this episode, and honestly, I'm just like, I'm worried for Cameron with this. I'm not, I don't, I, I like Avatar. I do think there, that some of the, the high, or some of the backlash is, is, is wrong, but when I watched them, like, like, I didn't remember any of this, <laughs> like, it's visually stunning and like it, that is still held up even like even when watched on home video or whatever it still works but i'm just like it's weird because i'm seeing like actors who like aren't as big as they used to be if that makes sense yeah and they're gonna you be can like say it. You, can, you can say sam worthington you can you can it's not just sam worthington it's like what's the it's the guy it's the comedian guy who isn't like grandma's boy <laughs> I wouldn't know Dodgeball. if I would call him like big anyway. Well, like, he but he was of that time, if that yeah. makes sense. Like he was like on he was he was on the rise. Uh, Joel David Moore. You know what? And Zoe Saldana. She's still she's still around. She's still great. Yeah, she's still doing well. Michelle Rodriguez, who I forgot was in this movie. Oh yeah, I completely forgot these people. Some of these people were in this movie, and I forgot the story. Uh, but like it it developed a lot of hate well i I think it was something that of any of his movies and and some people had this argument with titanic but i i you know i think there's a solid story in there but of any of his movies this was was spectacle over substance and and we all bought into the spectacle immediately i mean it was wild and it was it was the first and probably the only movie that i have ever said like you have to go buy 
the 3D ticket. Like you have to see this in, yeah. in IMAX 3D. It was that kind of thing that once you got it home, you bought it on DVD, you plugged it in, you were like, yeah, this still looks good. But like, oh, they're like not this is the same plot as like multiple other movies. And, uh, and, and I think it was when the, when the spectacle kind of started wearing off on us, we were like, Oh yeah, you know, not necessarily a bad movie, but should we have made this the most successful movie of all time? I don't know. (laughs) It's interesting because when watching it, because Chris mentioned earlier on, when we talked to him about how, like when we went, when we went to film school, like it was kind of like a thing to like hate James Cameron in a way, Mm. sadly. Uh, there, there's a very, there's a stigma in certain film schools or certain uh, cliques in film schools of like you can't like popcorn cinema, mm-hmm. and Cameron fits into that category. But when you, there was a lesson we had at school when they're talking about Avatar, and you just don't realize how much Avatar changed the way people make movies. Yeah. And I want to stress that, like, even though it might not hold up story wise. Like when I watched the opening, I was like, this feels like this is like Black Panther. Like there's shots of certain things. Like, this is like Black Panther like scenes of them like flying over Pandora, mm-hmm. like they're flying into Wakanda. If you don't have Avatar and the way that he that Cameron pushed visual effects and special effects and the way even just you ingest footage and things like that and how you do how you you do CGI, you don't really have the Marvel universe the way you have it today yeah i mean he that's and that's the thing and that's we we brought it up earlier that's that's my conspiracy theory as to why we still haven't gotten a sequel is cameron is so devoted to pushing the envelope when it comes to technology and i i don't know that yeah that he's gotten to the point now where i don't know that he'll ever release anything because it just technology is changing so fast uh yeah i don't know that he'll ever be happy because there's always something better on the horizon so yeah, very interested to see where his career goes from here, but um, kind of yeah. uncertain, yeah. And I think I think the big change is when he really made that jump from practical effects to special to visual effects. Parker, you know I used to think it was benign neglect, but now I see that you're intentionally screwing me. Grace, you know I enjoy our little talks. Oops. I need a researcher, not some jarhead dropout. Well, actually, I thought we got lucky with him. Lucky? Yeah. How is this in any way lucky? Well, lucky your guy had a twin brother, and lucky that brother wasn't some oral hygienist or something. A Marine we can use. I'm assigning him to your team as security escort. The last thing I need is another trigger-happy moron out there. Look, look, you're supposed to be winning the hearts and the minds of the natives. Isn't that the whole point of your little puppet show? You look like them, and you talk like them, and they'll start trusting us. We build them a school, we teach them English, but after what, how many years? Relations with the indigenous are only getting worse. Yeah, that tends to happen when you use machine guns on them. Right. Come here. I can't, I can't. This is why we're here. Unobtainium. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. That's the only reason. It's what pays for the whole party. It's what pays for your science. Comprendo? Now, those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war, and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. So use what you've got and get me some results. Unrealized Projects, Wolverine and X-Men is what it was called. Mm. He was going to produce a Wolverine X-Men movie directed by Catherine Bigelow. Wow. Angela Bassett was going to play Storm, 
Okay. Uh, Bob Hoskins, rumored for Wolverine. I I had always heard he was he was around that idea at some for some, at some point. Uh, next one, Jurassic Park. Hmm. I'm I'm truly surprised he never did a a Crichton. Um. Yeah. Because they they feel like they they line up really well. Yeah. Cameron tried to buy the rights to the book, but Spielberg had bought bought them a few hours before Cameron. <laughs> I feel like Cameron would have made a great sphere. I mean, the abyss is basically sphere. Yeah. Uh, the next one, this is a big one that everyone kind of knows about. It's lingered around for a while. Spider-Man. I've read it. It is. Uh, is it dark, gritty and rated R like people said it was supposed to be? Uh, uh, it's just the weird thing for me is it. it is. It's very Cameron. It's it's not, I wouldn't call it like dark, gritty. I would call it like real polished. And yeah. it's just weird to think of like Leonardo DiCaprio as this like Peter Parker who is just like that was my next completely thing. confident in himself. Like the the part that really stuck out to me, uh, and I think I've sent it to you before, but there's a scene when Peter takes Mary Jane uh, up to the he's like up on the Brooklyn Bridge on a spire, and he as Spider Man um, seduces her by displaying what a spider's mating ritual is. And it is, yeah, yeah. it is so like '90s. Oh, it's it's weird. It's it's just it's so different from what Raimi gave us, and it, it was yeah. very obviously from this point of like of Cameron's point of view that was like, oh, Peter Parker's a nerd. Nah, I don't want get that out of here. I just want him to be. <laughs> I just want him to be badass and suave. <laughs> uh, next one, Planet of the Apes was supposed to write and produce Planet of the Apes, directed by Peter Hyams. And Arnold was to be the Charles Charles Heston <laughs> character, uh, and then following that, True Lies two. There's supposed to be a True Lies two, and nine eleven. I think kind of they because again, True Lies is about terrorism, uh, but it's it does make light of certain things, and so the big thing was that you can't really make terrorism funny mm-hmm. uh, after nine eleven. Uh, Alien five with Ellen Ripley coming back, February two thousand nineteen. Cameron said he was still working on an idea to produce for Alien five. Um, okay, stats. Which one do you want first? Most popular or highest rated? Um, most popular is going to be Avatar. That's number two. Uh, Titanic. Number one. Highest rated is going to be Aliens. That's number two. T2. Number one. Hey. hey. What's what's number three for both this? Uh, for hi- most seen is T2. Correct. And for highest rated is Titanic? No. No. The first Terminator. Correct. Terminator 1. Uh, Terminator 2, 4.2 on Letterbox. Aliens, 4.1. Terminator, 3.9. All right. Lowest rated. I'm not counting the documentaries here, so just narratives. Piranha? Are you counting Piranha? Piranha? Piranha, I'm counting Piranha. Piranha 2 is the bottom with 2.0. The Abyss? No. Avatar? Avatar is 3.3. That's number number 2. Wow. And then 3. Is it True Lies? It's True Lies. But it's 3.5, so that's not like a low score. It's because he ha- he hasn't done that many movies. It's much easier when you've only done 10 films to do some of these yeah. stats. Uh, least popular. Piranha. Piranha 2. True Lies. True Lies is number three. Uh, and The Abyss, for and sure. And The Abyss is number two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, last one. Most appearances by an actor. Is it is it Michael Bean? No, not Michael Bean. Is it Paxton? It is Bill Paxton. With nice. appearances, I am counting documentaries too. Uh, it's uh, he's in Terminator, Aliens, True Lies, Titanic, and Ghost of the Abyss. Um, final questions: Is James Cameron a tour? One hundred percent. Yes. 
you watch a movie you go this is the james cameron movie and you know that he had his finger in every single part of that production whether the people working yeah. under him liked it or not yeah everyone says he knows everyone's job and probably can do it better um what are his running themes in his filmography uh i mean i think when i think of him i really think and this is probably also where true lies is kind of an outlier because it doesn't really fit into his like themes overall yeah, yeah. but um most of what i think of is like innovation and exploration yeah but also the cost of both of those yeah the the seeing the good and the bad yeah i will say that with true lies because again i think with this overlying theme is this idea of family in a lot of his movies and true lies is about fixing a family aliens is the family dynamic in some way terminator 2 is this i mean essentially a family road trip in a way Mm -hmm. and then avatar it's about jake selly like trying to find his identity and being accepted into either the scientist family or the military family or the navi like it's it's that's a prominent thing in 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 all of cameron's films Mm -hmm. uh and then i mean we kind of said it but like real quick how does cameron fit into the genre of sequels uh i think he's the i think he's the king i think he is um I think he's the king of the world. <laughs> exactly. Um, but some of the, some of the people we talked about in, in the first episode of this month, like Soderbergh who came in and were like, I, I love this idea. I love these characters, but I want to change the genre completely. Mm-hmm. I think it's weird to say, but I think Steven Soderbergh owes what he was able to do to James Cameron. I think yeah. he's, he's the first person to really come in and be like, you guys love this last movie. I'm going to give you another one but I'm changing it. Like yeah. I'm not giving you the same thing over again. I don't care what you say. Yeah. So yeah. So guys, that is somewhat it for our sequels. We have another episode though. We're having a bonus episode. It's going to be coming out probably on Tuesday of next week. I will be interviewing Jeanette Goldstein, uh, a prominent actor in James Cameron films from aliens. She plays Vasquez in aliens. She plays John Connor's foster mom, in Terminator two and uh the irish mother in titanic she's also been films like near dark uh fear and loving las vegas and miracle mile and so we've landed this interview since we were talking about james cameron so it's kind of like a a little bit of a bonus episode of a continuation of the cameron stuff so stay tuned for that i'm excited for it yeah and then for the month of october we're going to be talking about uh horror comedies so stay tuned for those movies. I know Thomas is excited. Yeah, that's that's like a before when you brought it up, I was like, wow, I love that. I love that <laughs> subgenre. I never, I never even would think to like say it, but I do. Yeah. So it's gonna be it's gonna be great. We'll announce those later. But yeah, subscribe to us on our podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our stuff on Medium. And yeah, I think that's it, Thomas. As always, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. And guys, hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.